You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 648. When given an opportunity, deliver excellence and never quit. Robert Rodriguez. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, guys, I know that all of us want to make profitable films, but there's so many pitfalls to watch out for. So I wanted to put together a free video series to help you guys learn the three key secrets to producing a successful and profitable film taught by best-selling author and veteran film producer Suzanne Lyons. All you need to do to get access to this course for free is head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash free. Today's show is also sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films. From predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them, the odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Well, guys, today on the show, we have Oscar-winning producer Cassian Ellis. And Cassian is an indie film icon, to say the least. He has produced over 130 feature films in his career That include the two Oscar winners, Dallas Buyers Club and Lee Daniels, The Butler. Cassie and I had a very frank and raw conversation on what it takes to be an independent producer, what it was like finally getting up and winning some Oscars for all the work he has done over the years, and so much more. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Cassie and Ellis. I'd like to welcome to the show, Cassian Elwes. How are you doing, Cassian? I'm doing great, Alex. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. I know you're in the middle of, of producing 75 movies this year alone. I don't know. I, 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 you know, I keep, I keep myself busy, which is good. You know, I, I literally wrapped a movie about um, eight days ago on Saturday in Kentucky and then started shooting another one uh, three days later on Tuesday here in Los Angeles. So, um, you, are, yeah. you do the Indie you know, Film just, Hustle. <laughs> I do. I really do. You got to keep hustling. You got to keep trying. You know, you, you can't give up. It, it, it's a very difficult thing to make a movie happen. But I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very driven. No doubt. I saw your filmography. For God's sakes, I mean, you've been doing it for a while. And, and, uh, you know, before you get started, thank you for making some amazing films in the '80s and '90s while I was working in the video store. So I appreciate <laughs> that. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, I remember that one. I remember that. Those were the days of Blockbuster, you know, where you oh go down God. there and go go over the racks and look at all the ones that 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 had multiple copies and that the bunch of them were at. You could tell the success or failure of each one based exactly. on how many they were stocking and how many that were out for rent at that particular moment. Um, oh, but yeah. it was a different time, you know. The the, the video stores were pretty much buying almost anything. anything and you could anything. just make a movie um you know for three or four hundred thousand dollars and which i you know did um exploitation movies and sell them off uh to cut to companies here that in america that were looking to try to stock those video shelves and 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 it was a great business really oh yeah and, and 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 those vhs's were like retail was like 79.99 that's so crazy it was insane i mean it was like i mean I always tell people you you have no idea how much money you could was being made in the eighties and the nineties. You know, uh, it was interesting. You know, I got I got one of the first Betamax machines. So I, you know, that wow. was because I I decided that that it was easier to get the Betamax tapes because you know the video stores they would suck some Betamax and some and more early, VHS early. because there were yeah, yeah. very few people that had Betamax machines. But I thought I'd get one because the quality was slightly better. Uh, mm -hmm. at the beginning anyway and then uh and then i you know wouldn't have a problem being able to read whatever i wanted to see and the, just the the sheer ease of it being able to take a movie home and watch it at home people don't realize how incredible uh that experience was oh. because now of course you can go online read anything you want to see and see it you know three seconds later it's up on your screen but that wasn't the case in the in the 80s you know the the, the you really had to go see movies in the movie theater um and then occasionally they would play on network television but you, you, the the advent of the film rental business, you know, the the getting Changed getting everything. VHS, the getting VHS tapes and Betamaxes of movies was incredible. So I mean, there were literally companies like Bestron that were just putting out hundreds and hundreds of titles, and people would just rent them. Yeah, Canon, Canon, you know, Troma, they, they, Full they, Moon, all of them. Yeah, they just were making money hand over fist uh, on these things, and 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 making you know Troma love uh, him, you know the the, Lloyd. the uh, Lloyd's the greatest. You know, I'm always I've always been a big admirer of his, but you know those films were horrific, and um, but but people rented them. <laughs> and he's the first one to say it too. I know. He, I would, he knew what I, he was doing. And I was, and he's by the way, he's one of the most intelligent people I ever had on the show. Oh, he's, he's such brilliant. a really was the New York film um, film commissioner. You know, he's he's a lovely, lovely guy. You know, I always would love when I was at Cannes. Um, you know, we'd have an office on the Quisette with the window looking down on the Quisette and see the Toxic Avenger and the whole kind of parade oh. of. Uh, of his characters going down the street, you know, you'd look at it. Go, oh my God, I, I'm surprised that no one's actually made the Toxic Adventure yet into kind of studio level kind of action franchise, like a real, like a real, you know, with yeah, a like a sort of marvelly version of the Toxic. You know, it's so fascinating. I always tell people that in the '80s, you literally, if you finished a movie, you made money. If you just, if you were able to finish it, it didn't matter you know, how good I, or bad I, it was. I, I did one picture called The Invisible Maniac. And uh, I did it with uh, with a friend of mine called Adam Rifkin, and um, yeah. we both were like talking to each other, and we were both completely broke. And I said, "Dude, we just need to go out and make a movie, and we just need to make something really cheap, and I'll get the money quickly for it, and then we'll just turn it around, and we'll make a bunch of money out of it, and uh, we can shoot it fast." He goes, "Well, I've got a great idea." I go, "What's that?" He goes, "And and he was using the pseudonym of of, of uh, Rip Coogan because he didn't, you know, he wanted to have, you know, we we wanted to have a real career as a movie maker." Um, and we did some films together, Dot Backwood and uh, and uh, The Chase, for example. But um, you know, he he uh, he said, I, "I got this great idea for a movie. It's called The Invisible Maniac. And it's just, it's it's kind of a homage to The Invisible Man." And but um, 
you know, it's like a guy who's janitor in high school. You go invisible, see all the girls taking their clothes off in the in the in the locker rooms. And uh, and the beauty of it is we only need the star for a day because he's invisible for the rest of the picture. I was like, oh my god, that's brilliant. And we were shooting it eleven <laughs> days later, and um, and we shot the whole movie in twelve days. And I was joking around with him the other day because we're still friends. And I was saying, you know, do you remember the last day of shooting? We were shooting in this place that was like a. It was at the bottom of, 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 of Laurel Canyon and Ventura. And it's now mm -hmm. some kind of Korean university. But at the time, it was like a it was um, it was like a, a university campus, a small one. Um, uh, and it was being used by some foreign uh, university as a staging point in Los Angeles for for you know students that were taking the year off. So they had it looked like classrooms in there. And on the last night, day of shooting, we shot for 18 hours straight, which, if, you know, if you make films, you know, that's pretty gnarly um, to be going for 18 hours. You know, the, the, as each hour winds past the 12 hour mark, you're doing less and less because everybody's just exhausted and they can't even like function anymore. And it's a diminishing return because you're not getting that many shots in the six hours later that you've been shooting. And it was our last night. And we're like, well, we've got to keep going and get these shots. And I, and I said to him, do you remember that the last thing you, I, I just remember you standing in the hallway and there's like the scene where they, 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 they pull the fire alarm and you would like, okay, was that shot in focus? Were, the guy, the camera was like, yes. He goes, was it in English? Uh, he goes, yes. All right, fine. That's, uh, you know, good. Uh, we're moving on. And that was literally, it, you know, it was it. It was hilarious. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, it was a different kind of filmmaking in those days. You know, really, I learned how to make films actually in that period of time. Is that really so, uh, so? Let me. I don't mean to interrupt you, but is that where you got your start? How did you actually get started in this in this business? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, well, you know, it sounds kind of privileged, but I, I, when I was about ten years old, my mother. Um, met an American movie producer who was in London making a film with Warren Beatty uh, called Kaleidoscope. His name was Elliot Kastner, and they fell madly in love and moved in together. Had two more children. I had two brothers already, and then they had two more, um, my little brother and sister. And, um, and they, uh, so from, a, from 10 years old, we were suddenly thrown from a very uh, normal, sorry about that, from a very normal existence into this movie existence. We'd come to California, and we would see um uh, movie stars and meet movie stars go to film sets and you know he was making films with uh, you know i mean missouri breaks with jack nixon and marlon brando he you know did uh, oh, wow. opera with paul newman and, uh, you know made multiple films with with richard burton and elizabeth taylor um so you know they that we we met all these mega movie stars you know as kids um and uh and so from from the by the time i was 15 i was desperate to do it um, I really wanted to do what he was doing. You know, I, I, one day I'm going to be like, Elliot, I'm going to wake up at two o'clock in the morning and yell at people in California on the phone from London. And, um, but I, I, I don't yell. I'm not that person. He, he was, he was, he was quite a yeller. And, uh, but he, he made like 60 movies or something like that, which I just thought was incredible number of movies. You know, I've, I've, I've actually finally now made almost twice as many. Um, right. but he made some really good movies. He made some really good movies. And so I, I would watch, you know, he knew by the time I was 15 or 16 that I was really interested in what he was doing. And I'm not sure that I would do this, but he would let me go to meetings with him. He would say, shut up, sit in the corner, and you can listen to what I'm saying. And I'd listen to him hustling people for money. And so I kind of, you know, I understood what the, what the game was. And then, um, 
And then, you know, during my vacations, he'd make me go work, uh, you know, for a very early age on sets, basically getting tea and making copies of scripts and things like that, like really menial jobs. But it was good because it was, an, you know, I got exposure to have films were being made and, and see the directors working with the actors. And, um, you know, that was that was an incredible thing. And then, you know, I went to college, but I dropped that. My parents were curious in California um, after I worked on a movie called The Dogs of War and had a bit of money and said, I'll stay in California. So I get a job, got a job, worked for a company called Filmways which was, you know, had a success with a, with a movie called Dress to Kill, Brian De Palma movie. Oh, yeah. um, and, uh, and, and then they all went belly up, ended up being sold to Orion Pictures. But uh, by that point, by the time I was 22 or 23, my, my stepfather and I had had a rapprochement. And he said, listen, why don't you come up with an idea for a movie and we'll do it together? And I said, I've got a great idea. I just saw this movie called Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And I think the idea of taking the character Spicoli, the, the, you know, the Sean Penn thing of the guy with the pizza, and, and, and taking that kind of surfer dude kind of crazy thing and putting him into Oxford University would be a funny fish out of water story. He said, I love that. Let's do it. And we developed the script um, uh, with a guy called uh, Robert Boris, Bob Boris. And, uh, and then we made it. It's called Oxford Blues with Rob Lowe. And um, it wasn't quite what I had in mind, but, you know, it was more romantic version of the story. than I thought it was going to be kind of more kind of wacky. A funny comedy but it was it was a charming movie and and he sold it for a lot of money and i didn't make any money out of it which you know, <laughs> he said it, but if you make a lot of money at this at this point in your life you'll never have any appreciation of it later and it was a great lesson life lesson um but so, we so, made seven, so you made you made a lot of film i mean it sounds like you were born into this and you were just ready to I rock was, and roll i was, well, let I me was add, like a child of an athlete you know i was ready to right. do it so then what is it? Because this is the biggest question I get from producers. How do you get money? How does it change the, the oh, difference between raising money in the 80s and 90s versus today's marketplace, which is so vastly different? Here's the crazy part of it. You know, it's like it never changes. And it's the same. It's the same thing. Um, uh, is the faces change. But the uh, the, uh, the the but the you know, the posture of the studios remain. Um, the faces change. Um, you know, there's different buyers, different people, different names, different companies, different whatever. But the same basic tenet for, uh, is still true, which is that you got to have the package. You got to have the script. You got to have the idea. You got to have the director. You got to have some of the actors. And and the money, you know, I'm always a great believer that if you, you know, I, I, I'm crazy. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a complete gambler. Um, I, I find things that I want to do and I just set the start dates and I just set about it and say, okay, I'm going to make the movie and somehow or other, you know, when the chips are down, I somehow or other figure it out. Um, and I also a great believer in making movies for what I can raise. Um, meaning that, you know, I could say to myself, okay, this is a $5 million budget, but all I can do is raise $3 million for it. That's the best offers that I've got on the table. And I got a tax credit for, you know, half a million dollars. So I got to figure out if I can make this actual movie for three and a half million dollars instead of uh, five million dollars. So I'm, I'm a great believer in making films. I know there's a lot of people in our business, they get caught up in the idea of like, oh, I got to have my seven point three two three million dollars or <laughs> can't, I can't make it for make a penny less. And you're like, you know, dude, come on, that's a joke. And, um, you know, that that was that was a skill set because I, I have a I had a whole career in the middle at William Morris. When I went and ran the, their independent film division just out of the blue. They hired me to come and run it for them for 15 years. And that's why I was so successful for them is because my mindset as a producer, which I brought to the agenting part of it, 
was totally different from anybody else inside the agency. You know, they they would go, well, my client says he's got this budget for $5.3 million and he has to have $5.3 million or so the film's not going to be made. And I'm like, put him in touch with me. Let's meet. Let's go over this. Let's figure it out. And we would go over it together. And we ended up making some of the greatest independent films ever made because we weren't worried about the budgets. We were worried about, you know, the quality. Of course, you want to make sure that you're not compromising the quality of the films. But, you know, the, the, the cost of a movie is relative. Uh, and, there, you know, I've seen films that cost $30 million that look like absolute garbage and seen films that, made, that were made for $3 million that look incredible. So it's like, you know, the, the, the relative cost of films uh, you know, to their quality is not necessarily uh, the, 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 the perfect ratio. So let me ask you the whole the whole chicken and egg thing, which is like you need the package, but you need the money to get the package and can't, you can't get the package without the money unless you oh. are someone like yourself who has relationships and you have a track record and you might be able to put things, you know, you call up somebody like, oh, it's Cassian, it's this is going to go. This is a serious dude. But for young producers coming up who might not have 120 films under their belt, how would you go about trying to package a film to raise money and vice versa? Well, uh, you know, I always tell people that, that um, you know, if you know, partner up with somebody who does know what they're doing, um, because, you know, the business is about relationships. It's about how you meet people, how you get to know people, how you meet the agents, how you meet the, the people that are making decisions, how you get to, you know, uh, somehow or other meet actors. Um, uh, you know, I've always tried to be very friendly towards the actors that I'm working with and hope that I'll get to work with them again. A uh, good example is Garrett Hedlund, who I just finished a movie with. I met him while we were doing uh, Mudbound and, and just hit it off with him right away. He's such a great actor. He really is incredible. And uh, and we tried for three and a half years, four years, to find another picture that we'd want to do together. And we finally found one, Desperation Road, which is uh, shot, as I said, we wrapped it about eight days ago. Um, but, uh, you know, it's keep those relationships intact with the people that you're working with. Um, you know, if you look through, through my, my bio, um, you'll see that I've worked with lots of people multiple times. You know, the mm -hmm. trick is is to is to keep those relationships going. Um, and then, as far as the financing is concerned, you know, the, the, it's keep your ear to the ground. Um, as I said, find somebody who actually does know what they're doing. Partner up with them because owning fifty percent of a film that is actually going to go is a lot better than one hundred percent of something that's nothing. And yeah. you know, so. I, you know, people go, I don't want to give away a piece of my movie to somebody else. And they, all they did was make the introduction. And do the, the, but you know what? Honestly, if that was the thing that triggered the movie, it's worth it. And then at least you have a movie under your belt. And so when you call up an agent and go, I'm, I produce blah, blah, movie, you actually have a movie you produce as opposed to saying, look, I've never made a movie before, but I've got this great script and I want to make this film. The agents are like, oh, yeah, please. All right. Everyone's got a great script. You know, I can't tell you how many times people have called me up and said, I've got this fantastic script that's going to win a bunch of Oscars. Everyone says that their movies are going to win Oscars. How many films actually do win Oscars? Very few. You know, certainly not the ones that there's only really a few that came to me that the people pitched them that way and they ended up do, uh, winning or being nominated for Oscars. And so, um, you know, but that is the dream. That's what everybody's looking for is, the, is that golden ticket. Somehow or other, the film that they make is going to be the one that makes the scores. The, 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 what you have to do is keep at it. Keep making movies. Keep Keep doing it because each film that you make is another incredible learning curve. And I'm still learning. And it's, you know, many, many, many movies later. And things continue to happen to me that I wasn't expecting to be hit with. And uh, but I'm very calm. You know, that's the other thing for me is, is I'm very zen about it all. Oh, I can tell.
I can I can, yeah. I can sense your energy already just by talking to you. You just, you, you are a chilled producer. I've I've talked I've worked in the business for thirty years. I've worked as a director and I've worked with many producers and I've spoken to many producers. And you can tell pretty quickly that you're not the guy who's going to be on set yelling. I'm sure there's moments. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But generally speaking, that's not the thing. And that's the good sign of a good producer. But I have to ask you, though, agents, that's one of the, 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 the these um, uh, not roadblocks, um, gatekeepers, the gatekeepers of, of actors. So many pro- young producers have problems just getting through any tips on how to approach an agent of an actor or a director or even a writer when you're a young producer. Well, the interesting thing, you know, as I said, I was an agent. I worked at William Morris for 15 years. So I got to work, see the inner workings of the agency very closely because I was, you know, I was the head of a department. So, you know, I'd be in the department head meetings. I would be in the, involved in a lot of the decision making in terms of uh, what was going on inside the agency. Um, I was uh, and I was working on, you know, 25 movies a year, a lot of films, anything that was not a studio, 100 percent a studio movie was something that I would work on and meaning that. If there was a studio film, but it was partially financed by independent film financing by some big company that was going to co-finance with the studio, they would bring me in to help um, to to help uh, uh, figure out how to make those deals. So I really did watch the whole way that the, the, the agencies operated inside the studio filmmaking uh, business and also inside the independent film uh, making business. You know, and I I hope actually that I've I've influenced quite a bit. Uh, the way the agencies now operate inside the independent film space because they are basically copied the formula that I came up with um, of how to do it. But, uh, you know, some projects would come from people that you didn't know or had never heard, heard of, um, but somehow or other they got that script in front of somebody. Now, they maybe they met somebody in a bar or a restaurant and they'd given the script to an actor and the actor read it and said, oh, it's pretty good, I'd like to do this. And then the first thing they do is call their agent and say, look, I don't know this agent, this this Matt, this uh, producer from Adam, but the script was actually pretty good. I'd like to do it, um, or I'd be interested in doing it. So there was there were lots of different ways that people would get into the game. The, uh, another one was that they would make friends at parties with agents' assistants, and mm-hmm. and the agents' assistant would read the script and say to their boss, "I read the script and it's really good." You know, look, all the agents really want. Is to make great movies. Now that doesn't always happen, and our business has changed so much now that in fact it's it, it's rare that great movies are being made. They're mostly uh, studio factory pictures that are some copy of another picture that's already been done, or a sequel, or a prequel, or another comic book that they bought the rights to, and then using the metaverse of that or the universe of that character to to spin off a bunch of garbage that it looks the same as the one that you just saw. But you know the great and the great movies that are being made are being made within the independent film sector and um, in the international uh, independent film sector, and uh, and so the you know the, the, again that was trying to get those scripts in front of directors. Uh, directors would would meet people in the most random ways, read a script and go, yeah, I like that. So I I, I would say don't don't give up. Again, try to find somebody who does know people. Um, that is that you are sympathetic with and uh, that or simpatico with, and that you guys you know, uh, or women um, team up together to make something come together. It all comes down to the same thing always. It's been the it's been the golden rule from the day I started. It's about the screenplay. If you've got a great piece of material, I'm a great believer that that movie, will, that script, will somehow or other find its way 
into the hands of the right people uh, to be made. Um, because there's so few, so few scripts that are out there that are really fantastic. And, um, and if, the, if your script or your friend who wrote it, uh, you have a fantastic piece of material, then you know. Then you got a chance. You got a chance that a director will read it and be interested. You got a chance that an actor will read it and be interested. You got a chance that other producers would read it and say, "We'd like to be involved." The financing company would like to be involved. You know, there the, there are many. When you have something that feels like it's a movie and it's a real movie, a lot of people will appear out of the woodwork that will help get the film made. Now, I love to hear your point of view on this because the film, independent film space specifically, and 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 cinema in general has been devalued so dramatically by the streamers, where now on Amazon you're getting fractions of a penny for an hour-long play. And, and you know, in the and we were talking about the video store days, there was a value there. There was a value, went to the theater, then you would maybe, you know, rent it, or it was a $79.99 product that you would give to video stores, then sell through. There was still a $20 value there. Then a rental was too. So there was, and then it just kept getting diminished, diminished, diminished. Even when TVOD showed up, on iTunes, it was still kind of the model of rentals, but now films are, you know, almost almost doesn't have the value. It's the same thing that happened to music. Before it was an album, then it was a single, and now you know Beyonce is not making a whole lot of money on Spotify. Not that I'm, she's hurting, but you know that the idea is it's the devaluation of art. How can a producer in today's world, you know, without the connections like maybe you have with output deals and maybe pre-sales and things like that? That are automatic make money with an independent film, especially in this in the genres that you like to play in dramas. Well, that's a very good question, and I, you know, I'm 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 struggle through it every day because you know I see the market changing constantly. You know, part of the problem with the streaming companies is that they're making all these series, so there's just so much material that's appearing, that's new material that's appearing every week or every month um, on their platforms that are endless, you know, it's eight hours of this and 10 hours of that, or six hours, of, you know, so, and, and also with recognizable movie stars, because, you know, during that COVID period, when, when a lot of films weren't being made, there was a lot of uh, uh, streaming platforms that were making uh, uh, television shows and they were hiring uh, uh, bona fide movie stars, you know, the mayor of uh, East, Eastway or whatever it was, the one with, with, uh, with Kate Winslet was like a movie, but it was fantastic. It was six hours or eight hours of a movie. Um, really good. So, uh, you know, the, they, uh, they are making and competing in the independent film circuit because they're making films, they're making television shows that look like independent movies. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's getting harder. But, uh, but again, I don't want to give up because I, 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 I believe in what I'm doing. Um, I don't want to give up and just say, okay, it's all over. The streaming companies are just making, you know, independent movies that look like independent movies are eight hours long. That's okay. You know, you know, you just got to, again, keep making something that turns out to be really good. And um, uh, I just made a picture called Robots that, that is a comedy, futuristic, uh, 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 romantic comedy with, uh, with a wonderful British comedian uh, called uh, Jack Whitehall. And a yeah, fabulous yeah. American actress, Shailene Woodley. Um, it was directed by Anne Hines and Casper Christensen. He's Casper is the sort of Larry David of Denmark. His long running show uh, called Clown um, that he writes, directs, and stars in. That is, uh, again, yeah, kind of a Larry David, a Danish Larry David. And Anne Hines is uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's guy. He's been writing with him since Sally G. He's written everything and was nominated for Academy Awards for Borat 1 and 2. And uh, the movie's fantastic. And I think it has a chance to really work. 
and has been acquired by one of the, one of the top independent film distribution companies. I can't say who yet because they haven't made a mess on it. But um, that movie has a shot. That movie has a real shot, and it has a shot to continue to have sequels and prequels for it because it's a funny, funny idea. Um, and so, you know, you gotta you gotta keep you know keep plugging away. And, and, and you know, <laughs> there's no the, easy the, answer, the, is there? <laughs> no, there isn't. You know, I I. I just made a pitch called Desperation Road. Um, as I said, I wanted to work with uh, Garrett Hedlund. I, I've been very involved in gender politics over the last few, you know, several years. Um, I have uh, uh, programs that promote female directors and female writers, one with a blacklist, one, one that I set up myself with Christine Machado and Lynette Howell and my partners in Cooler Rising. Uh, and we, we bring uh, uh, directors, that, you know, female directors that are out of colleges across the country to sell their for mentorships. Um, so this picture, Desperation Road, is directed by a woman. Um, I worked on one movie with her that was a tiny $600,000 movie that was incredible. Um, and I put her into this or wanted her to direct it. Uh, and we assembled a great cast for it. You know, how do we make money from that? I'm not sure because we haven't really made any money from it yet, any of us. But we will because it's going to turn out to be a good movie. And, um, uh, you know, we all work for low money up front, but we all gambled on it. So. You know, that's the other part of it is that, you know, if you're coming into this business because you're going to make some huge score, don't chase the money. The money ain't going to be there. You got to chase a great product. And if you grit meet a product, I hate to use that word. It's not a product. But that's how the studios view uh, movies. But if you make great movies, the money will come to you somehow or other. I really do believe that. And, uh, you know, it may not be on that movie, but it'll come on the next one. And, you know, you got to try to keep making something great because you know, if you're just coming to like make some huge score, that's not going to happen. You know, you might get lucky, but it's not. It, 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 certainly not in the independent film business. You're not going to make some huge score up front. You'll make the big score at the back end if it works out. If it turns out to be a good film. So you, you're speaking of the back end, which is, uh, you know, that's the the long running joke. Like, you know, have you ever made any money off off of points? And and and. No, I know it's, that's true. You know, it's, the, the, it's the, one the, of those. The, it's the, one of those. The... We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Thanks, but I wanted I to ask you though. That the, that the studio's most creative part of the studios is their accounting departments. Oh, brilliant. Which brings me to my next question. I'm assuming that every movie that you've ever made has been sold to a reputable distributor who get your payments and reports on time, every time, <laughs> and you've been paid all... <coughs> He's choking, no. ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I am choking. <laughs> So, no, look, well, how, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that over the years? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to work for the back ends, although on some films I have got the big back, like on, uh, on the butler, we, you know, it's sure. so huge. That it but that was, was a bit, that was a studio it, film though, wasn't it? At the end of the day? It was, it was uh, Weinstein's. Yeah. Um, so it was but, released, that, it was released by. Yeah, a, but now it's like a Weinstein bankruptcy and I don't know what's yeah. going to happen with that. But, right. You know, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the movie's a really good movie and it was, it was so successful that it was hard to hide it all. Um, although they did their best and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, 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 it was, it was made as an independent movie. So when we made the deal with them, it was a very aggressive deal for us. I, 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 I uh, I like to take some credit for that because I know what I'm doing in that area. And we made an extremely aggressive deal on that film for, for the people that invested in it. And they all made a lot of money out of it, which I'm very happy about. But, um, yeah, you know, look, I'm not in the game of like waiting for the back ends. I hope that they'll come. But I, that's not necessarily the way that I think about making films. I think about making a film for X and selling it for Y. 
um, which is more than what it costs. And, Hopefully. and that's the way we try to make move money from the films that we're making, uh, independent films that we're making. So it's not it's not about the back ends necessarily, although sometimes it comes to that. You can't sell the movie for anything, you know, close to what you really wanted. So you make some deal where you make an aggressive back end and you hope that the movie performs. But uh, you know, as you said, the the business is constantly evolving. It's changing. You know, the the day and date, which was um, at oh, one yeah. point was unknown. You know, was never wasn't being used at all. Has now become the norm. You know, one of the first one of the first movies that ever was a success on the day and date release was a movie I did called Margin Call, and yeah, um, which was a, a wonderful picture. At the time, we were so depressed, like, oh my god, it's not going to be great for the movie because we're going to come out day and date on it, and and then you know. Uh, we got very lucky because two weeks before the film was got released that way, uh, Wall Street, you know, um, the whole kind of Wall Street, whatever that thing was called. Uh, the, the, the meltdown. Yeah, they were all like, you know, if you want to know what um, what that whole thing is about, you got to see this movie because it explains it very well. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, they would, it was a huge success. And then after that, a lot of people started using the day and day platform. Now it's the norm for independent films because, you know, they realized that, uh, if you're going to spend a bunch of advertising on a film, you might as well get it into as many different ads to the consumer in as many different ways as you can imagine while you're spending the the advertising. Um, and so, uh, and so that that's become the norm because in the past, in the old days, old days, you know, in the '80s and '90s and the early 2000s, you know, you'd release a movie independently, it played for six weeks, then you release it on DVD, and then you spend a bunch more money for the DVD release, and then you. You would, you know, do the the pay television, and then Sony, you know, Showtime or HBO or whoever bought the, the that window would do a bunch of advertising for the film on their platform. So, you know, that's that's all changed. People realize that, that uh, you know, why are we spending all this money? Three different buckets of spending money on promoting a film. We might as well just spend it all in one go and put it into every single hand that we can find, whether it's um on a movie screen and their home on their computer or on their television screen or in the DVDs at Redbox and, and the supermarket. You might as well get it all out at the same time and get people buying as many copies of that um, movie as you possibly can all in one go. So you mentioned The Butler. That year wasn't a bad year for you because that's another year, another movie came out that year, Dallas Buyers Club, which on paper uh, seems like a very successful, widely well known. Like <laughs> it doesn't it, it, as a as a as a pitch, you know, it's not a feel good movie, but it's a fantastic film. And I know I heard the script had been bumping around for what a decade or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, 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 it was a movie I was desperately I, I loved. I thought it was absolutely right. incredible. Um, when I first read it, I, I was an agent at that time. I worked on a tiny film uh, called Everything Put Together. Um, with a guy called Mark Forster. And then Forster and I had gotten to be friends, even though I didn't represent him. And we worked on his second picture, uh, Monster's Ball, and um, which mm -hmm. then became a huge success. And uh, it was a little budget movie, a low budget movie, but it became yeah. a huge success. Halle Berry won the Oscar for it. And, and then I said to Mark, well, come on, what's the next one? And he goes, well, I just read the script. It's incredible. It's called the uh, Dallas Buyers Club. And I read it. And I was like, well, uh, this is a really good script. But it's very risk risky because it was right. about eight and at that 10 years you know it's now 15 years ago 20 years ago it was still very you know aids was still very much a risky subject matter and um and so we we i said listen you need to get a real movie star for this he goes like who i go i don't know like brad pitt two weeks later he comes back and says, brad pitt's gonna do it and um and, and this is a long story but i won't go into it because i, I tell this story a few times but 
But basically, Brad Pitt and his team sold the script to Universal. They developed it for 10 years. Nothing happened. And then there's a, a rule came into place at Universal that, um, that if a film isn't made for 10 years, the writer has the right to get the script back for a year and see if they can set it up elsewhere because they don't want the writers to never have a shot to get their movie made. And so the script came back to the original writers. And um, I was making a movie called The Paperboy with Matthew McConaughey. And I didn't know him, so I was chatting him up. And I was like, have you found your next picture? He goes, yeah, I have. I go, what is it? Now, this is 10 years later. He goes, the film called The, the Dallas Buyers Club. And I'm like, fuck. And I called the producer. Sorry, my bad language. I called the producer, Robbie Brenner. She was a friend. I checked in with her over the years. And she's like, yeah, it's going to now do it with Ryan Gosling, I think. And then it's going to be the guy who did, you know, this director that he wants to do it with. And it never happened, you know. And Universal developed like five different versions of the script. One point, they were just developing it as the cops who were chasing them, which was, you know, ridiculous. ridiculous. And, um, uh, and I, I said, I, I said, Robbie, what's happening? And she said, well, I've got this great director called Jean-Marc Vallée, and he's going to do it. And we're shooting in Canada. We raised all the money, and it's going to be an $8 million film. And, you know, we're going to do it. And I was like, uh, I said, so bummed out, because I really wanted to do that script. I, lo- I loved it. And then, as luck would have it, about three months later, the agent who worked with me on The Butler called me up and said, you can't believe this. I go, what? She said, the, the Dallas Buyers Club just fell apart. The um, the people in Canada were financing it, can't finance it. And, you know, um, and uh, so this this is also a famous story. It's out of the rap. I've written this uh, as a story. So if you go on the rap and do a deep dive, you can find it, how I raised the money in five days. So they basically told me I had five days to come up with the money or forget it. Um, and I did <laughs> come up with the money in five days for the film, which was insane. Um, but I, you know, I got, I was making a movie called Ain't Them Body Saints with David Lowry. And I, I got that crew that was there out in Louisiana to stay on and go, go to straight to, to New Orleans. And, you know, we set that, we, we shot that whole picture in New Orleans, even though it's all set in Texas. And I, you know, it, it's a fabulous movie. Matthew Connie and Jared Leto are fabulous. Oh. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough on that picture, uh, Jean-Marc, you know, who's, who tragically died last year. Um, oh. He wanted to use this guy, Ezra Miller, um, to play the, uh, the, the part that Jared was about playing. And I was nervous because I didn't really know who Ezra Miller was. And I um, said, please, let's use Jared Leto. I'd worked on a picture with him before, and I was a huge fan of his. And, um, and uh, you know, the, uh, and, I, and the director said, oh, I don't really want you know, There was a lot of hemming and hawing. But in the end, I set up a Zoom because Jared was touring. We couldn't do it, um, meet face-to-face with Jean-Marc. So he came onto the Zoom in full costume. And at the end, uh, shot Jean-Marc. And at the end, Jean-Marc was like, yeah, fine, okay. And he won the Oscar, which is, you know, incredible. Yeah, so did Matthew. <laughs> yeah. So that, that movie was something very dear and near to me. And I, you know, I got to, to, to work with uh, Jim Seamus, who, who ran Focus at that time. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a, 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 who I would big admirer of. Because you know, produced some of the greatest films, independent films ever in the prior ten years, and uh, he was running Focus at that point. He got the movie, and you know, it was uh, it 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 worked. That that's the beauty of that picture. It worked. So after doing so many projects, I mean, as a filmmaker, I think no matter what you do, there's always that day on set that the entire world is coming crashing down around you, and you feel like, oh my god, I don't think we're going to be able to make it through today. What was that day for you on any of your projects? And how did you overcome it? I mean, it happens every day. Every single movie (laughs) that I work on. Of course, every movie. Every single day that I'm shooting, it's like 
how are we going to make this day? How are we going to make this day? You know, don't let this finish. We shot the entire movie in 16 days. Now, that that was kind of a record for me. That's I mean, insane. But it's insane. That means they're shooting six pages a day. And, uh, you know, it was the only way that we could figure out how to actually get the movie made um, with the money that we had. Uh, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You know, each day is like a nightmare. And then you're worrying the whole time. Is anybody going to get COVID? Is it going to get shut down? Right. You know, like on, a, on a movie um, uh, two summers ago uh, with Aaron Eckhart or 18 months ago uh, uh, called Rumble Through the Dark. Turned out to be a fabulous movie with these two young directors, brothers who, who wrote it and directed it, co-directed it. But on the fourth day of shooting, uh, this was at the height of COVID, they had 22 cases on the set. The movie got <laughs> shut down uh, for two weeks. Everybody split. Um, you know, it was quite hairy trying to get everybody to come back. Uh, you know, um, that took a lot of negotiation with all the various different parties, including the actors. Um, it, and we didn't start shooting again until about six weeks later, in the end, uh, which was, you know, nightmarish. And uh, the movie turned out to be fantastic. The story behind the making of it was very difficult. So, yeah, every single movie, there is some kind of story. Everyone's got the war stories of what they went through. Oh, yeah. Uh, multiple war stories from all of them. But I, you know, I, I'm a sucker for films, so I keep doing <laughs> it. You know, I keep, I keep pushing this. I, I want to do it. And I kind of, you know, my family, my, I have two daughters. They both want to be in the movie business. My oldest one and I just produced a movie together uh, oh, with Bella Thorne um, this summer. Uh, they they tell people that I actually thrive on the the, the disasters, uh, that it, that I look forward to the disasters on the films because that's where I really come into my own. Um, and uh, I I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I am very um, very good in those disastrous situations in terms of trying to stay calm, figure out what the what the what we should actually do. And since I'm extremely experienced. I've seen a lot of it, you know, thank you, touch wood. I've never actually killed anybody on a set. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the worst case scenario. But if people have been injured. Uh, you know, it's a, the filmmaking can be dangerous sometimes. Um, but it's, uh, but they recovered and they're fine. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not easy making films. And it's not easy making how do you, films. How do you, but how do you deal with the stress, man? I mean, this, it's so stressful. And you've made so many. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I you know, in the, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. In the early part of my career, before I became an agent, I used to smoke a lot of weed. Um, sure. I, was I mean, calls. it's 2022. Um, yeah, you can say that. <laughs> I was, you know, I would get very, you know, I'd get stoned when, I, when there was a disaster, which I realized later on probably wasn't a good idea because it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I got a great idea. Let's do this. You know, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I, but no, I, I, it is very, very stressful. Um, very stressful. Uh, as I've gotten older, I've, I've realized that, I, that, that there is going to be enormous amounts of stress all the time. And, um, you know, I, the film I did with, uh, with uh, Bella Thorne that I was mentioning that my daughter produced, we were three weeks out. I was prepping the movie with, with my own money, um, and we still didn't have the male star for the film. And the distribution company that was buying the film uh, said, look, I think we're out of ideas of people to put in this movie. So I went back to one of the ideas that they had had prior, who had said no to me. Uh, Ryan Felipe, and I called him up and I said, and I know him really well, and I said, Ryan, you have to do this for me. I'm going to pay you a lot of money for five days. You've got to come and do this. And I know you want to direct this other film. I, I'm aware of the horror pitch that you're interested in directing. 
I will make that movie. You just got to come and do this movie with me. And he came, saved the film. So, you know, that, that, that was a very stressful situation. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, they don't tell you that in film school. I mean, the, the, the amount of stress that you do on one movie, but you are doing, you mean, you've made, you continuously made four or five, six. I'm year. working on between four and six a year, which Easily. means that I'm literally shooting a movie every two months. And, um, uh, and the stress levels are very high. And then, you I mean, know, you got a system. You got a system. I'm assuming. Well, it's kind of. You know, then you you know, while you're shooting the films, you're actually delivering the ones that you've already just made. Right. Post, Finishing yeah. ones that, that you know, editing the ones you just made, delivering the ones that you made like six months before. You know, it's a it's a constant stream. You know, uh, I had one friend who said that it's like an assembly line for you, and um, you know, there might be but some you, truth to that too. Do you have a core group of of collaborators that you've been using over the years, like post, uh, post houses and? Yeah, and, I, I, you know, I've worked with everybody, so I figured out which ones are the good guys and the bad guys. You know, I, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, I have a, I do have a support system. They don't work for me, but they sure. will work with me if I find the right things to work with them on. Um, and so uh, each film is like Mission Impossible. It's like picking the the right people for each uh, thing. So <laughs> you've been, you know. If you accept, if you choose to accept this mission, you have to come with me. Um, and I have great line producers that I work with. I'm now working with the best line producer I've ever worked with. He's Italian and a woman, um, and I've I've never worked with somebody so good. And she is hilarious to me because she's a chain smoker, and I feel like I'm in a an Italian '70s movie when I'm around her all the time. <laughs> like Fellini's going to pop out any second. <laughs> oh yeah, so I feel like I'm in the in a spaghetti western, you know, and uh, uh, which I love. You know, because making independent films has got there's there's a history to it. You know, there is yeah. a real history to it, and I, well, that makes me think about the history of what we're doing. You know, there were some incredible filmmakers that have been behind me, and there'll be some incredible filmmakers in front of me. Um, you know, I, I want to make films. People say, "Well, what do you want to do?" And it's hard to say. I, I want to do this kind of movie. I want to do something that I haven't done before, and I want to do something that I feel like will actually outlive me later. You know, like Butler and and, and Dallas will be films that will be talked about a long time after I'm gone. And, and that makes me excited because that means that somehow or other did something that, that, that actually become more, became part of the zeitgeist as opposed to just being another title. You know, you, you, you can switch on your pay-per-view, which I'm sure you do and a lot of people do, and you scroll down the films that are available, the new titles that are out this week, and you click on the one that you want to see. You know, you, wanna, you, you, you don't want to just be part of the cannon fodder. You want to be the one that people like, Oh man, I'd like to watch that movie again. You know, mm -hmm. ten years later or five years later. And those, those are the films you want to be making. You know, you don't do it every time. It's very rare, but you do do it. I mean, that year that you're talking about was incredible because it worked on Ke with Kevin Costner. I worked on Ethan Body Saints. You know, it was like it was like the year of living dangerously for me. I, I literally kept throwing sevens. It was incredible. It, it was you know fabulous, fabulous year. They don't come along that often, but when they do, you got to enjoy the ride and. Um, you know, Mudbound was that kind of year for me, too, when we made Mudbound, you know, got nominated for three Academy Awards. Netflix bought it was one of the first acquisitions as, a, as an awards worthy picture for them. They were willing to spend a lot of money on it because they never had a film that they wanted to promote for the Oscars before. They treated us like I've never been treated in my entire life. I mean, literally <laughs> being picked up by limos every night, taken to the screening and then first class flights to London. And it, like it was it was fabulous because as an independent filmmaker, I go coach, you know, I, uh, I always <laughs> Um, Wait a minute! You mean to tell me that independent filmmakers aren't just loaded with cash all the time? No, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the, listen, if I really want to make some real money, I'd be doing something else. 
Do you know what? I always tell people like how it was that the old joke, how do, how do, how do you become a, a millionaire in the film business? Start with a billion. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> uh, no, that's that, 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 it's not, you don't go into it for the money. You go into no. it for the love and, and you hope that the money will come along during the way. Journey, now with, journey, your path. So another question uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on is what do you look for in a film director when you're packaging a project? What are the, some well, that, elements? Okay, well, first of all, you got to have seen their films that they've already made. You got to understand mm -hmm. what it is that their that their 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 vision. You know what 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 are they capable of? Um, and then you got to listen very closely. I listen really closely when they come to tell me what they're going to do because. You know, I can tell in five minutes if they have no idea what they're doing. Um, <laughs> and I can tell in five minutes if they're going to make something great. Uh, if I like the material, uh, I like the way they're talking about it. And I like the way that they're, that they're you know, that they're thinking about it. And the actors that they kind of want to work with. And, you know, the way that they want to make it, where they want to shoot it, and all of those things. Those are all kind of secondary on some level. It's, it's got to be about understanding their passion and understanding their ability to deliver um, what they're saying that they're going to deliver by watching what they've done already. So I think that's that's what I'm looking for in directors all the time. It's not necessarily then of course there are directors that that um, that I hear about or like to work with make multiple films. Then I hear something negative. Or I hear something positive. I don't really care about any of that stuff. My my own experiences with people are totally different from other people's experiences on with them. Um, I run a very different kind of ship from a lot of other producers. Um, and I think that's why some of these filmmakers gravitate towards me. Now, as I've gotten older, I tend to find that there's a lot of young directors coming after me because, you know, they, they, the ones that, that want to work with me, you know, the guys that are big star directors have a career. They don't need me. You know, they, they could pick up the phone book and say, I'm going to make this. And, you know, Quentin Tarantino, they don't need me to make pictures uh, uh, with that or produce their movies. So the film directors that I mainly have been working with over the last few years are the ones that are coming up that really need me. Or the older ones who can who, who are struggling and uh, and need some energy behind them to figure out how to change their careers and, and start over. So um, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That that tends to be the types of directors, and I, I I'll work with like I, as I said I'll work with any level of director. I just got to make sure that I understand what it is that they're going to do and that we're on the same page. Now, if you could go back uh, to your younger self at the beginning of this journey as a film producer, I've never you could been tell asked them, this question, by the way, this it, is a good one. I can feel it coming. What, what would you, th what's the one thing you would say, hey, you know what, you're going to go for a hell of a ride, but just, just watch out for this one thing. <laughs> <laughs> a really good question. Thank you. Not sure. I, you know, I'm not sure what the answer is to that because, you know, I don't think that I would want to alter the way that I approached any of the films that I worked on by having some hindsight to what I what I learned later on. I think that each film, this might sound like a pat answer, but it's really not. Each film, I learned something new about myself. I learned something about my own abilities. Um, I learned something about my persistence. I learned something about my 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 uh, my taste level. Um, uh, I, I, each film was really something that pushed me into thinking a different way. And I, you know, so I I don't think I would have necessarily want to go back and say, hey, watch out for this. Don't do that. You know, I I, I think that um, 
you know, maybe I, maybe, you know, I, people say, well, you know, you made Psycho Cop, Invisible Maniac, some of these other small pitches when you were starting out. I don't regret them, you know, honestly. Oh, no. I know that they're kind of embarrassing on my, on my resume, but I don't regret them at all because, you know what? I learned how to make films that way. And it was an right. incredible learning curve. You know, make a film for $300,000 is insane, actually. But I learned how to do it. And it taught me much. And it was such a great learning curve for me later uh, when I became an agent to be able to talk to filmmakers about how to make their films as opposed to just being an agent saying, oh, okay, here's the script, here's the budget, here's the whatever, try to set it up. I actually could get into it. You know, one of the filmmakers that I got to work with quite a bit at William Morris was Gus Van Sant. Mm. And he taught me how to talk to directors, talk to artists. You know, I talked to a lot of directors. I made a lot of my own movies, but he actually taught me how to, how to deal with an artist, um, which was incredible. And one of the greatest uh, going back to school ever. And I was being paid to do it, which was incredible. But we worked on, we worked on Elephant, which you know, won the Palm yeah. Door. Uh, you know, we worked on Last Days. We worked on Paradise Park. We worked on um, uh, Jerry, which, you know, I love. People think I'm insane, but I love that movie. It's like a Zen experience. Um, you know, he, Mel, he's a, he's a brilliant dude and uh, one of the best directors out there. Uh, and I got to spend five, you know, movies worth with him, um, which was a longer period of time. Obviously, he didn't make five movies in five years. And I really learned how to how to talk to him um, and learn how to gain his confidence and uh, and and be able to to understand where his mind was coming from valuable lesson for me later with other directors valuable now now i'm going to ask you a few questions ask all my guests what advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today don't give up you know look if you really want to do it don't give up i mean that's 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 the best advice i can give you you know it, it seems daunting it's a lot of these things seem insurmountable you go i got a script i really want to make but nobody wants to do it with me i mean any movie can be made for any amount of money. You know, it's a question of how much you're going to compromise on it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can make films for fifty thousand dollars. I mean, Tangerine is an incredible movie that was made for twenty five thousand dollars. You know, that on, a, on an iPhone, you, you, you can. You know, that guy Sean Baker is brilliant. And you know, you oh, don't yes. have to. You don't have to be limit the way you think. If you really are an artist, you can do anything, um, and you can create anything as a piece of art. You know, whether people appreciate the movie on the other end. You know, that's that's that remains to be seen, but you shouldn't be limited by the somebody told me I have to get three million dollars to make this film, I have to get the star to be in it. To, you know, that that should that, you know, you all those filmmakers that you we all love and admire, they all started somewhere, they all had to break into the business somehow or other. They all wrote a script, mainly wrote scripts or, or developed scripts that they attached themselves to that somehow or other, some producer somewhere introduced them some other producer and they somehow or other got the money to make those films you know um you know they, they you can't give up if, if you've got something great it's probably going to happen and um and so i i wouldn't i wouldn't be you know you, you can't give up your day job obviously but you've got to keep your eye on the prize which is to get my movie made even if you make a little short and it ends up playing in a film festival somewhere that you made for five thousand dollars, that might find you an agent. That might get get you get people interested in your work. I mean, I I, I there are great agents who sign directors that I I mean that I know they'd sign them from shorts, and um and have turned out to have incredible careers. So you know that there's so many routes in. You can't be limited by your your fear of it. You got to be you got to be very 
aggressive about yourself and trying to figure out how you're going to make it. And, uh, and that means just making stuff because if, you know, you're not really a filmmaker unless you're making films and, um, you've Very got true. to get out there and make stuff and show people what you can do because one thing will lead to another. I promise you. Now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film industry or in life? You know, um, I, I don't know. I'm constantly still learning. So I don't know if I've learned any particular lessons other than I, I, I guess that that's a good question, too. I don't know where you come up with these things. <laughs> I've been doing this for a few years, brother. <laughs> I, think, I think one of the things that, I, that I'm constantly surprises me, honestly, is that the lack of, um, of loyalty in our business. Uh, you know, and that's a, that's a sad part of it. You know, that, yeah. that there are people that I, I've helped get their careers going who were like, yeah, Cassie, who, you know. Um, but I, <laughs> right. you know, it's, it, it's, it's a long business. And sometimes I get back with them, you know, when they need me again. Um, but I, you know, I've, uh, I've, I've, that, that, was a, that, that was a good lesson early in my career. That some of the people I was working with that ended up having like huge careers outside of me, you know, uh, Roddy Harrington, I did Jack's back with, uh, got to make Roadhouse, uh, John McTiernan, who I did Nomads with his first picture. These were both first movies. Ended up going straight from my film to Predator and then to Die Hard. And, you know, it was like Cassie and who. Now, they did come back in, into my life later because I was in a position where I could actually help them. Um, but, uh, but, you know, that, 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 that's the thing. I, said. I don't think you can sit there and go, well, I discover all these people they're all going to stick with me they're probably not you know they're, they're everyone everyone's some type of stepping stone to each other and uh you know that 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 was a hard lesson that i've learned but i i accept it now that that's part of the game and that that not i'm not sitting there going god man, why did they come back and make the next movie with me you know i gotta get on to the next one um what did you learn from your biggest failure uh, to dust yourself off you know i mean that's uh that that is the 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 real thing you know i i i funnily enough we we had such high expectations for the chase you know we sold, we sold huh? that picture to 20th century fox i remember it and uh charlie sheen was a huge star at that time christy uh, too christy swanson uh uh who i knew because my brother dated her carrie um and uh and we we thought that picture was going to be a hit and um uh, and then it, we went, to, you know, the, the head of the studio uh, or the head of distribution of the studio, lovely man, invited us over to to sit there on Friday night and listen to the first uh, returns coming in from all the different um, uh. offices around the country. And it wasn't working. And he he told us he knew it wasn't going to. But he said, I wanted to be here with you guys. And, you know, that my other young partner, we were both in our late 20s at that point. It was a big deal for us because we finally made a, a studio level film. And he said, I wanted to be here with you. And I wanted to tell you that, you know, it's just about getting up to the bat. You got to keep swinging because one day you're going to just hit it out of the park. And I'm tearing yeah. up thinking about it now because he, he, you know, he really 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 helped me at that moment because it could have been just down in the dumps for months afterwards and i wasn't i was like you know what he's right i'm gonna get back up he was he was a human being he was a human yeah. being which is not again. which you don't get often in this business <laughs> no and uh and you know he he yeah, that was a, that was a good life lesson too. And he and, and he was you know i'm trying to remember his name i'm totally blank this is what happens when you get older um, but he, he was, he was a lovely man and, 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 uh, very good at his job. And he, you know, he, he told us 
took us down the corridor and he goes, boys, not all movies work. In fact, most of them don't. But you just got to keep swinging. And you know, what's crazy about it is that movie has continued to have a big life. And 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 yeah. whenever I mention it, people are like, I love that. The Chase. Oh, yeah, I remember the Chase, of course. And, uh, of course. you know, I had a crazy idea on that picture, which is the, you know, the Red Hot Chili, chili Peppers were huge at that point. And I was like, why don't we get the Red Hot Chili Peppers? You know, we love like crazy out of the body experience. Let's get the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I called their manager and said, we want Anthony and, and Flea to be in our movie. And they're like, sure, great. What is it? And then we tell them and they're like, great, they're in. They're coming over. And they came and they were on the set. And I got to meet these guys. It was fantastic. You know, you're only <laughs> limited by your dreams. And last question, three of your favorite films of all time. Okay. Well, the, they're, they're, uh, they're really, you know, there's a number of films that I think of course. are incredible, obviously. My favorite movie of all time is 2001 A Space Oddity because, you know, Kubrick was a friend of my family's when I was a kid. We went to really? the set while they were shooting that picture. Um, no. The, when I Wait first saw stop, it. Stop, stop, stop. You were on the set of 2001? Yes. Oh, my. You mean you saw the wheel and the whole? Oh, yeah. We saw the whole thing. Oh, my. That's we a whole that. podcast in its own thing. How they were Jesus. shooting it. They were, oh. uh, you know, the, the camera was on a was on a on a kind of a mount. Gimbal, the, the thing yeah. was, uh, spun around and made it yeah. feel like that they were inside. And that was it. Sandy Kubrick was a, a, a genius, genius. Okay, genius. absolute genius. And we were too young to appreciate it, actually. Um, and then when I saw the film, I didn't understand it at all. But now, as an, as an adult, much later on, I was like, that is a total work of genius. And the man was an absolute genius. And when you think about it, like when the woman in the spaceship comes in and whatever the kind of pan am which doesn't exist is the thing but he's on it he's on the 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 spaceship that's taking him to the middle planet before they go on to whether they've discovered the, yeah. the 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 talking rock the um uh she comes in and then she she walks in a circle and then she comes back and comes into like the pod where they're they're sitting in their kind of airplane seats you know yeah. but it's really on a spaceship and his pen is like yep. do you remember this is floating oh, up of course and she I know grabs how they did it. And puts it back into his pocket, right? All done on wires. But you know, all the all the, the, the things that were in that film, I I don't think you can look at it and go, that's any worse than a lot of the big visual effects films much later on, you know, like the one with George uh, uh, uh what's the name that was stuck in space and George Clooney was in it. Um the, oh, uh, yeah, the, the, there you can't say that the visual effects and gravity were like 1,000 times better than 2001, because they're not. He, he came up with all those incredible imagery that Doug Trumbull and, and then, oh, you know, the production design. The light the, and the light. The paint, the... where they would throw the paint into a huge pool with other types of paint, and it would just explode like that. And then they, that's what it would look like on screen. You know, he was so ahead of his time. And that film is an absolute work of genius. Later on, in the early 70s, I was at the Cannes Film Festival because, as I said, my stepfather, the producer, when we go to the Cannes Film Festival every year, he says, hey, I got, I got a couple of tickets to this movie. I heard it's a total piece of shit. I don't want to see it. Why don't you go take it? You go see the film. And I was like, what is it? He said, it's called Apocalypse Now. But I, I heard it's awful. And so I went to see it. I literally sat there with my mouth hanging open for, for two, hours. two hours. It's one of the greatest films ever made, the greatest war pictures ever made. And I literally came out of that movie theater going, holy shit, that is one of the greatest films I've ever seen. And it still is to this day. I'll watch that film over and over. I mean, I've seen the elongated version where they get to the French chateau along the river. It's not as good. 
the, the, the final version of his original version is the best version of that movie. And it, it's incredible. And, um, you know, I know what I know because I'm such a move of buff about Francis, how that picture was made. Um, we, you know, I, I uh, you know, it, it was it was insane what they went through. They went there for three months to make this movie. They ended up staying there for 16 months. The making of that film. Uh, oh, I know. Which Hearts, of, made Hearts by, of Darkness. Yeah, the by, the, the, my my friend George Hickenlooper, who sadly died later on, but we worked on a number of films together when I was an agent, and I loved him. Um, but that the documentary is a must. It's, it's, one it's got shot the by greatest single oh. greatest line of any movie of any film, documentary, feature, whatever, ever in any movie whatsoever. Which is then when he finds out he's in a tent in the middle of absolute jungle, where there's no no connection to the outside world whatsoever, except for He's got a satellite phone. Marty Sheen has had a major heart attack and has been helicoptered out of the out of the, the camp. And nobody knows if he's alive or dead. He's he's on his way. And he had a major heart attack, you know, the, the, because Emilio and Charlie are good friends of mine. So, and they were there as kids, you know, watching their dad making that movie. Uh, they, they, it was very touch and go. They didn't know if he was going to survive. And, uh, you know, Joe, their, their uncle, um, uh, their um the, the the uncle came in and they shot over his shoulder because he had the same kind of um, body type as uh as Marty. So they used Joe to do a lot of this, the you know over the shoulders and do some scenes, just keep shooting while they were waiting to see if Marty was going to recover. But as I said in the documentary, he's on the satellite phone to his office in California, and he says to them, "And motherfuckers, he's not fucking dead until I say he's dead." So that's the greatest line I've ever heard of anybody ever said. It's that, so brilliant. Oh my goodness, Francis! And I his... told Francis that I love that line, and he's like, "I, I don't get it." You know, I mean, you, that was not a fun experience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was not. Um, and going back to that 2001 gag with the pen, from what I remember, you know, studying that film, he did that on tape. It was clear tape that he they stuck the the pen on a piece of tape. And you couldn't see it in the film, and she just plucked it right off, and did it. Like, you, to think that way is brilliant. is brilliant. So that's two. Apocalypse Now, two thousand one. What's the last one? Uh, I don't know. There are so many other films that I just look back at and go, okay, I love that picture. I love that picture. You know, the, I I can't say those. Those are the two main ones for me. You know, they they they're so different from each other, but they really kind of resonated with me in a very special way. That's different. You know, there's a ton of other movies. I love oh, yeah, Eastwood pictures. I love the Westerns. I love the spaghetti Westerns. I like the, you know, I love the, um, a lot of those movies from the seventies, taxi driver, you know, uh, 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 and then later on the uh, Spielberg pictures, the, the close encounters, whatever, but I, Gosh, you know, yeah, those yeah, are the yeah. two films that are, that are, that really sit with me as an adult later on. Uh, I mean, those are really good movies. They're just solid, solid, good original pictures. Cassian, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're in the middle of 5,000 movies uh, producing them right now. So I do appreciate you taking the time to, to share your stories. But thank you, my friend. And continue fighting the good fight and getting us these great movies. Thank and, you. Uh, thank and keep, you. Keep, keep, keep swinging at the bat, brother. I appreciate you, man. You keep swinging too, man. It's a, the, 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 as I say, as I'm looking at this thing behind you, you it is hustling. You know, you are a hustler on some level if you're at raising money. You know, that's what hustlers do. They try to raise money. Now, it comes up with a negative connotation because people go, you know, if you're hustling, that means you're trying to get money out of somebody and they know it's not, they're not going to get their money back. That's not true. I think every time I go out to try to raise money, 
my assumption is that it's a risk, but if I play, if I do it right, and if I make the right movie at the right budget level, I am going to get these people that money back. So my, 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 my mindset is different. I'm constantly thinking, how do I get everybody's money back to them? You keep doing your thing, my friend. I appreciate you. Thank you. I want to thank Cassian so much for coming on the show and sharing his journey and dropping his knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you so much, Cassian. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 648. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.